we were engaged at the time or courting. That's a long story. But anyway, so I would I would go over to his family's house for dinner, or to Leek's family's house for dinner sometime, and, um, you know, talk about what we learned. My, my parents weren't particularly interested, so I was trying it out with a new parent, new set of parents. And um, that was maybe a mistake with this particular subject. We haven't mentioned probably, but my dad is a pastor, uh, a Southern Baptist pastor. Um, so I grew up in a, in a small Southern Baptist church. There's about 100 to 150 approximately, give or take. It kind of fluctuates. Size congregation. And so he had been, at that point, the pastor there for um, about 15 years, probably. So, so quite a long time. He's still the pastor there now. So now it's, it's getting, it's closer to like... Um, and the church is almost how old? Yeah, the church is 150 years old now. So wow. it's a very old church and a very tiny community, but there's lots of people, not just in that community, but from all over that come to it. Anyways, so just, just to give context for this, he um, went to, to, he's got a college degree, went to seminary, got a seminary degree, and he's he's been at this church for a very long time and, and is kind of a very respected pillar of the of the larger community there at this point. So you've got an educated white man from who grew up in, I think, a mostly white community and still lives in a white community because it's it's a rural community. There's yes, a lot of poor people, but, but it it's very almost, white. Almost all white, yes. Um, so anyway, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I, you know, I'm like 19 and I'm geeking out because I have learned that there's grammar in other dialects and there's a lot of different dialects and it's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't exactly get mad because he's a very steady person a lot like you yes you know he could he would get mad but he got visibly agitated um at at this idea that um dialects have grammar and they're not wrong they're just not standard english yes um which i mean i mean probably if you're listening to this probably you just accept that you're like oh of course but for us it was groundbreaking and for him it was like what are they teaching at you at this evil liberal university? Because if if using some different grammar, if it could still be grammar, then what about right and wrong? If if language isn't right and wrong, like and morally right and wrong, because it's it's considered if you speak properly, you're a better person. That's what a lot of people think. Like, so um, so yeah, he. What did he? Do you remember what he said? His. I don't remember specifically what he said, but his mind jumped to a connection, frankly, I think quicker than either of our minds had, probably in part because as a pastor, he's sort of, you know, in a position of guarding the Christian faith as he sees it and all that. But he understood that this this had implications if if there's no such thing as right and wrong language, then... And this is the basically what he said then is, well, then who's to say what's right and wrong behavior? You know, what if we just call that standard and non-standard behavior? That's not exactly what he said, but that's the gist well, of what he was I know that the word saying. moral relativism came up. Like yeah. he accused me of being a moral relativist, which I kind of am now. I mean, not exactly. That's not the word I would use, but um, I definitely don't believe in his morals anymore. I mean, the, the topic of ethics is a very complicated one that I could talk about for a really long time. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, that's, that was what he instantly jumped to. And it was just kind of, um, it was like, well, 
after years, it sort of became, out, well, what if there isn't? What if there isn't? What if your standard of right and wrong is not the correct one? Um, because definitely that's what we were taught, is there's one standard of right and wrong, and we have it. Also, we speak the correct English. Yes. And, um, and that kind of will, will tie into the, the translations and, and stuff, I think, if we're... If we're ready to start talking about that. Probably so. And I'll just say, and then, then we should probably move on because we've spent maybe, maybe we spent quite a bit of time on this. But it's not like this was like the thing that made us go, oh, well, obviously Christianity or, you know, the versions of Christianity that we grew up with are wrong and, and everything is subjective and blah, blah, blah. But it, in retrospect, it was more significant. I mean, it was significant at the time, like it stuck out for both of us at the time. But also really in hindsight, it was kind of one of those moments where it was like, yeah, this is... This this is one of those times where the yeah. frameworks that we grew up believing, the things that we grew up believing in and, and being taught simply fall apart when you actually scrutinize them and and try to apply them to the, the real world. Yeah, so your dad's reaction to this information that we had about grammar and dialects was just to immediately throw it out. It couldn't possibly be true. Right, because if it were true, it would cause us to have to rethink and so many things. you would have to question all your beliefs. You would have to question the Bible itself. Yes. You would have to question God's existence. I mean, he didn't say all that, but 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 basically he was, he was getting at that. You know, how do you know anything if, if there's right and wrong, if there's not right and wrong language. Um, but we had studied this, and I, you know, if, if anyone's interested, I can, I can definitely provide information. And the evidence was definitely showing that there is grammar in other dialects. I'm hitting the table to emphasize. It's probably not a good idea on a podcast. But there is. It's true. So, I mean, you could, I guess you could just reject Christianity immediately or you could reject the facts but he wasn't really even going to deal with the facts he didn't want to hear the arguments it was just well that couldn't possibly be true because that would mean that these other things I believe might be wrong too yes and to sort of try to, to transition this to I mean because definitely all that's true language is a it is one stone and a foundation where if you take it away you're you're risking the whole thing falling apart but also language being static and being codified is very important to really to modern evangelicalism as a whole because the bible has to be translated in a very specific way and then it has to be read and interpreted in a very specific way according to pastors like my dad and other uh, evangelical leaders and so I guess that gets more into finally here that gets more into the meat of what we want to talk about no I'm the... this whole thing is me this is great <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but so yeah we ready to talk about the the King James version the KJV only people I guess so so you mentioned in your ep in the episode about different translations of the right. scriptures and how and... translators make choices Yes. And so, and I don't remember specifically at the moment how much of that you got into in the episode. Not like a the specific ton. translations. Not about the KJV. But in the 1500s, let's say, the, the way, if you were in England, you know, where the, the common oh, language was English. Oh, yes, this is English, good to talk about this. If you wanted to read the Bible, you would have to know Latin. Because there were no English translations of the Bible until now, the 1500s. Now, let me clarify this. The Bible was not originally all written in Latin. True. It was in, as I said, 
the Old Testament was Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament was Greek and Aramaic, but it had been translated into Latin because that is the language that, as we were talking about, Rome brought the language Latin to England, and Latin became a lot of the English language, but you still couldn't read Latin if you were just your normal, everyday English-speaking person living in England. Yeah, sometime uh, in the one of the, the early centuries, a guy named Jerome translated the pretty much the whole Bible, I think, into Latin, and that was called the Latin Vulgate. Um, Vulgate meaning, you know, correlating to vulgar. This was oh, supposed the to vulgar be, translation. It was supposed the to common be, at tongue. that point, the common tongue. Because I didn't that know point, that. This was still under the Roman Empire, or maybe maybe just after the Roman Empire, and so so this was meant to be accessible for the people at that time when Jerome translated it was Latin. But now we're fast forwarding, you know, almost a thousand years, and so the, the and common you have the church in, in England, England is not Latin; it's English, and Latin is reserved only for the very highly educated, probably for members of the clergy, members, high-ranking members of the church, and so literally. They were the only people who had the ability to even read the Bible at all, let alone interpret it. So, of course, if they told you what it meant, you would have to believe them because they're the only ones you who can even read it. You couldn't read it. And that was very intentional. That yes. was very intentional. It was about the power yes. because Christianity had a lot of power at the time. And then the people who told you what Christianity was had all this power. And, like, we could talk about Martin Luther, who was kind of a jerk in a lot of ways, but he was sort of rejecting this idea because... Catholicism wasn't only, you know, just the power. They also got a lot of money from people. Money, power, leadership in church. These things often go together, and you kind of got to watch these patterns. So it's interesting because um, we're going to talk about another translation in a minute that, that was written for the common people, and that became kind of a way of conserving power um, because it wasn't for the common people anymore. So... Um, but but yeah, so you have the the Latin Vulgate for the the Vulgar translation, and now nobody can even read it in the in the place where they're supposed to be learning from it. They can't read it themselves. Yes, and so you have these early um, English, you know, hero people. Essentially, you have people like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, and other folks like that who believed that it sh- people should that the common person should be able. To read the Bible in their own language, that they should be able to understand it without the intermediary of the church. Um, this is this is around the time. This is during like the Protestant Reformation at this point has hit Europe, and so you have all these people questioning the Roman Catholic Church, which had controlled Christianity. Martin Luther, um, as I mentioned, was was one of and them, so you and have you have all, all these, these other people, people too who are questioning church authority. And so that's where a lot of this drive comes from in Britain. Britain is not really where the Reformation started, but it eventually spread to it from the mainland of Europe. And you have all these people saying, we need to actually be able to read the Bible ourselves. And it's very important that the lay person, that is the person who doesn't have formal church training, the common person. just the person who's going to church, they need to be able to read the Bible for themselves and see what they think it means. And so you have these people, and we'll talk about the, the biggest translation that comes out of that. But basically, I think the whole, like we can look back from that, from that time in the 1500s until now, you have church authorities and church leaders trying to inoculate the Bible in various ways against being able to be interpreted 
however the heck people want to interpret it. You have various paths and inoculate ways. meaning keeping that from happening. Yes, you have all these ways in which. Well, it has to mean one certain thing, and church leaders trying to funnel people into that. But the fact is that thanks to Wycliffe, thanks to Tyndale, thanks to people like that, many of whom lost their lives, William Tyndale was burned at the stake because just because he translated well, the Bible Well, remember, the church English. had so much power, yes, and they didn't want yes. these translations. And so translating the Bible into English, I mean, even today, even today in churches like these, I mean, Robbie and I... We were able to read the Bible. We were able to read the Bible in our own language, and that's a huge part of why we ended up leaving the church and leaving all these authorities and power structures behind is because of things that happened during this time. So that was tremendously valuable work that we can all be thankful for. 